Right now, we're going to do what Pastor Bart began to lead us into last week, and that is memorizing Psalm 23. So last week, we read it all the way through, and now beginning this week, we're going to learn each section that we've been through up to the point at which we will end today, all right? So are you game for that? All right, so we're going to say this together. Now, we're going to do it just like we teach our kids to do it, and that is we always say the address of the verse, and the reason we do that is because if you can't remember the verse, hopefully you remember where it's found, and you can go to it, all right? So we're going to start with that, and we will also end with that. So let's say this together, if we could. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Psalm 23. He almost forgot to say the address at the end, didn't you? All right. Now, is that really easy to do? Yeah, yeah. Some say yes, some say no. Well, here's the truth. When we talk about memorization of Scripture, it's not always easy for everyone to do. And that's the reason we call it a spiritual discipline. Discipline is difficult. When you get up to go to work out in the morning or you do something that you don't necessarily feel like doing, it's a discipline. And so this is a spiritual discipline that we do. So did you do pretty well that time? Because we're going to do it again. So here we go. All right, let's do this again. Ready? Here we go. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He decides still waters. Almost messed up. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Psalm 23. All right, give yourselves a hand today. And you can be seated. I struggle with that sometimes because I learned it out of the King James Version when I was about 12 years old. And so I struggle with some of this sometime. And in the last... In the last uh, service, I totally messed it up, had to stop and say, I'm sorry, let's do it all again, all right? So I almost did that here as well. But man, it is great to have you with us in this, in this series called Comfort and Chaos. And I just want to ask you this question. As you think about these things, as you think about Psalm 23, I want you to ask yourself this, where is my place of rest and peace? Where is it? Is there a place where you go when things are in turmoil in your life? Maybe it's a physical place, a place of rest. I'll never forget, growing up in northwest Arkansas, we raised cattle. We had about three or four uh, places that had 45 acres each, and we would take cattle from one place to the next. And we had one about a mile from my house, which had this beautiful meadow and this hill that went down to the stream. And I'll never forget that, that that was a place that I would always go to. When my life seemed to be in turmoil, as much as a, my life could have been in turmoil at that time, but when I was struggling with things, I had a four-wheeler and I would ride it down to that particular area by that stream. I'd get my, my Bible out and I would hear from God in some incredibly significant ways growing up. And I want to ask you, where is that place of rest and peace for you. For some of you, it's a physical place on your journey. Maybe it's a park that you would go to. Sometimes now here in Fort Worth, there's actually a a cemetery down on the Trinity River. You guys are going, you go to a cemetery for peace and quiet? Well, nobody bothers you there, I'll tell you that. 
All right? And sometimes I'll pull off there and just, uh, again, pull out my Bible just like I would do when I was young. And, and God, what do you want to say to me in the midst of this? You know, for others of you, it's not a physical place. It's a relational place. Maybe there's some trusted friend that when things are really in turmoil of your, in your life, you turn to that trusted friend. It's a relational place of peace and rest. For others of you, it's a spiritual place. Maybe there's a place in Scripture. Maybe Psalm 23 is one of those places for you where you go to a specific place in God's Word just to get encouragement as you go through the difficulties in life. Listen, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I am sure that things can often get chaotic. I'm sure that relationships can get chaotic. I'm sure as we go into Thanksgiving week, everything at the places where you go to experience this Thanksgiving meal will all be wonderfully peachy this week. I'm sure all the political comments that have gone on Facebook won't be brought out in your family get-togethers. I'm sure that none of that will happen. Because even when we sometimes go to our places of family, it's a place of conflict and not necessarily a place of peace and rest. But I want us to look at this today as we look at these passages, or the, these, these points of Scripture in Psalm 23. But I think one of the issues that we deal with with this issue of peace is that we really don't properly define what it really is. Because for a lot of folks, we think that peace from a global sense is that there'll be no war and no relational conflict. Well, why do we think that there'll be no relational conflict when ideologies and political issues are always going to abound as long as you have two people. As long as you have two people, you're at least going to have four or five opinions, right? And there's always going to be some sense of conflict with that. And so this idea that the whole world will be at peace and love one another out this side of heaven is just really not a reality. Some people think that peace is just a place of no activity at all where I can just kind of veg out and not do anything. All of these are inaccurate views of what peace actually is. So I want us to start with this definition of what peace, I think, what it is. Because peace is not the absence of activity, but a place of resolute trust as we yield our lives to the flow of God's activity. See, the whole idea of what peace is, is it's not a place of inactivity. Instead, it's discovering where God's activity is flowing and me yielding my life to step into the flow of God's activity. We were praying yesterday, a group of men that uh, were, were here yesterday uh, morning. And God just gave me this, this sense of, of a vision of this image. That you know when you're standing on the banks of a river, and it's flowing very fast. To a person on the outside, maybe an object that's in that river seems to be bobbing up and down and going every which way. It seems in chaos. But if you were the object in the flow of the river, you would just be flowing with everything else that's around you. Does that make sense? But to someone on the outside, it appears that everything going on inside is chaos. And I think that's a beautiful picture of where we can be in the flow of God's activity and that that frenetic place to people on the outside, that that is actually a place of rest and peace. 
So I want us to explore that again. I want to read it one more time. Peace is not the absence of activity, but a place of resolute trust as we yield our lives to the flow of God's activity. Let's look at Psalm 23 as we discover this. The first thing I want us to see is that peace is understanding that God is our source of spiritual rest and nourishment. It is understanding that He is the source. He is the shepherd. But He is the source of our spiritual nourishment and our spiritual rest. Listen to what Psalms 23 verse 2 says. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And we have to remember this image of a shepherd and sheep. This will flow to a large degree throughout this whole psalm. There are a couple other images that we may explore. But the key image is this. Christ is our shepherd. God is our shepherd. And we are his sheep. As Pastor Bart so aptly put it last week, we are sheeple, right? Okay? We're sheeple because we have these same characteristics of sheep as we experience this. But I want, us to remind, I want to remind us that as we look at Psalm 23, oftentimes we will look at it and we will think, hey, whoever wrote this psalm probably had everything going for them in their life. And God was, they, they had a great relationship with the Lord. And so therefore, it seemed fresh all the time. And so they could write this from a place of abundance. And that could not be further from the truth. This is written by, most scholars hold that it's written by King David. And it's written at a specific point in his reign. It is written by David as his oldest son, Absalom, has usurped the throne and has uh, betrayed his father and has taken over the kingship of Israel. So here's David who's defeated all these armies. He has grown the, the, the land of Israel, the kingdom of Israel to the greatest point, to the peak of, of, of the greatest point of all Israel, of, of the biggest part of the kingdom that it will ever be. And you would think that this is a time where he could kind of rest and chill out a little bit. But instead, his oldest son betrays him. The Bible talks about Absalom that he was a very uh, handsome young man. He was winsome in his personality and he won over the people. And they kicked David out of his, his own palace that he had built for he and his family. Kicked his family out. He had to move to another place. And here Absalom put himself up as the king of Israel. And where did David go? In the midst of family chaos. In the midst of political and kingdom chaos. In the midst of relational chaos for David. He so much would have rather been with his father's sheep. But instead, here he is in this situation. And when he does this, when he's at this place, he writes Psalm 23. And he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Because for David, even in the midst of his chaos, what he's saying is, God is my source of everything that I need. Because you know, sheep, as we continue to keep them in view, sheep only need three things for survival. They need food, they need water, and they need protection. They need protection because they cannot keep themselves protected they are very vulnerable animals as Bart said again last week the only thing lower than sheep were grass on the food chain all right so so as we see that 
We see that they are very vulnerable. They just need food, water, and protection. And the beauty of that is all three of those are provided by one individual. And who is that? The shepherd. The shepherd provides the place for them to go to eat, the green pastures. The shepherd provides the great sources of water. And many times where he would uh, go into a cave and he would pour out, he would go into the water and would bring out the water to make it capable for his animals to eat or to drink. And he protects the sheep. The shepherd is the source of all these things, of this place of peace and rest. And for us, the sheeple of God, God is our source. And we need to always remember that. When we can get our eyes off our own, on our own finances, we can get our eyes on other people and relationships. We can get our eyes on other things that we may want or that we may do. And instead, God is the only source that we need. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 10. Verse 9 and 10. He says, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will do what? They will find good pastures. Here's Jesus being the shepherd of his people. What's the pasture that he's talking about? He's talking about himself. He's talking about his word. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. So what does Jesus do? He identifies the enemy. Because his sheeple need protection. So he identifies who the enemy is. Recognize it. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. God's purpose for us. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Jesus invites us to eat And be spiritually nourished from him. But he never force feeds us. Jesus provides a place for us to feast in his word. But he never forces us to eat. How many of you have ever seen, I love this image. Because it's a negative image that is not true. How many of you have ever seen a shepherd with a sheep Around his arm around his neck with his head to the ground taking grass and shoving it into the sheep's mouth. Has anybody ever seen a shepherd do that? Anybody ever seen an image? You have not, Nathan Thornburg. <laughs> Let it be said now, Nathan is attempted to be a negative example, all right, of, of this. You're the only person that's raised their hand to say what a negative example that is. All right, thank you, Nathan. You feel good about that. But we've never seen a shepherd do that. Why? Because a shepherd's role is not to feed the sheep. A shepherd's role is to get the sheep to a place where they can feed themselves. But that just doesn't happen on its own. Instead, the shepherd's role is to go out and nourish the field. And to have fields in certain places. And you see, a shepherd, a good shepherd, will not allow the sheep to just eat down one field to to the nub of grass because if he does that, it'll never be available again. But he moves the sheep from place to place, always getting just what they need until this one field that he's had them in before is now recovered and they can eat from it again. God's role in our lives is to say, I'm never going to force you to eat but I'm going to get you to the field for you to begin to eat and nurture yourself and nourish yourself on God's word 
You see, a Sunday morning experience, a Wednesday night experience, a a weekday in your car experience with the latest Christian teacher on Christian radio is not going to nourish your soul like God's word on a daily basis is going to nourish your soul. The role of a shepherd is not to force feed the sheep, but to get them to a place where they can feed themselves. And Jesus invites us into this. Listen to what Joshua 1.8 says. Study this book of instruction continually. Now, just, just questioning. Does it say, study it once a week? Study it once a month if you feel like getting up to go? Does it say any of those things? No. It says, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you and I will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. Remember, Jesus came that we may have a rich and satisfying life. And here he says that you would prosper and succeed in all that you do. How? By being in God's word. How idiotic it is for us at times to continually want God's blessing in our lives and refuse to do the one thing that he tells us is necessary for us to do that, to be continually in his word. This is not an option for us. This is what we are to do and to be on a continual basis. But not only a great source of food must the shepherd provide, the shepherd also provides a source of adequate adequate water. 70% of a Sheep's whole body mass is water. And if a sheep does not have an adequate water source, they are not going to thrive and survive. Matter of fact, let me tell you how unintelligent sheep actually are. They will actually follow one another, and then the holes that are there from urine and other rainfall and other things, there are worms that are in those small little puddles, and they will drink that before they'll drink the stream of water that is right next to them. They'll drink the putrid things that are in front of them. And that's just like us as well. There are so many sources that are out there from us for us to drink from that are putrid and that are not life-giving. But we continually... Go back to those sources, thinking that they're going to give us hope. We go back to finances. We go back to, um, to, to people that we trust, that we think they have the answers. We go back to these other sources. We go back to the media, what they say about us. And we go back to these continual sources that aren't life-giving. When the life-giving source is right next to us, but we still drink these things. So a sheep has to have an adequate source of water. And only Christ is that source of living water. Listen to what is said. Jesus says, he replied in John 4, Anyone who drinks this water will become thirsty again. But those who drink the water, the living water that I will give, will never be thirsty again. And instead, this is a key thing, it will become a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Here's the beauty of this. Moms and dads, as we seek to be life-giving sources to our children, 
Friends, as we seek to be life-giving sources to neighbors and co-workers and others, if you are not connected to the life-giving source, you are only going to give out of your own selfishness and out of who you are instead of who Christ is. But if you're connected to Jesus Christ, you become a living, deep well of life-giving water to others. When we rest in the peace of the sense that He leads us into green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. Peace is understanding that God is our source of spiritual rest and nourishment. Do you feel drained today? Do you feel like there's nothing more for you to be able to give? My question is simply this. What or who is your source of life? John 14 says this, John 14, verse 27, I am leaving you, Jesus says, with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled and afraid. You see, if you and I seek peace from this world, the world only knows peace as unconditional surrender When you've been violated. See, that's what peace is to our world. When you look at wars, when you look at different countries that come up against one another, you see, one creates an action and the other retaliates against that action. And perhaps they will defeat this particular country. And so now this one has defeated this one and this one turns and now wants... uh, To seek retaliation over the defeat that this one has gotten. And then this one does the same thing to this one. And everything that I've just described. Think about every relational conflict that you've ever experienced. And is that not what it is? That you seek to be justified in one sense. And when you feel justified the other other person feels lost. And so therefore they seek justification. And we go round and round in this lack of relational peace. Why? Because this is the only peace the world knows. It can't give us anything else. But peace is not the absence of activity. Instead, it's seeing where God is at work and joining Him in this active flow of where He's at work. And sometimes, matter of fact, all the time, what it means is that we die to ourself. How can we die to ourself? Only when Christ is present in us. The second thing we see. Peace is acknowledging that God is the only one who can reorient my broken soul. Psalm 23 verse 3 says, He restores my soul. You see, as people who are lost, our souls must be restored. Because the very essence of who we are is heading in the wrong direction. From an understanding about sheep, it means that we are The word is cast. A sheep, when you think about it, their little short legs are so short that when they fall over on their back, they do not have the wherewithal within themselves to get their legs back underneath them. If you don't know what a cast sheep looks like, this is what it is. Here is a sheep that is cast. It's on its back and its legs are so short it can't get upright this other sheep this is me over here on the left this is pastor bart i think right here all right he's laughing at me that i cannot get up because i'm cast and this is what happens to sheep 
Sheep who get cast, if they do not get made back upright by someone, the shepherd, they will die at most, or at, at the greatest time they'll live is two to three days. If they are sick or if they are wounded, if they happen to be pregnant at the time, they may only last for 24 hours. Thus the importance for the shepherd always to seek out the sheep that's lost. Why? Because the sheep that is lost is most likely cast in a place where their soul is upside down. Have you ever been there? A place where your soul was cast and you couldn't get up? We've all been there. As EVC, we talk about the fact that we are the church of the broken and screwed up. We are. That is who we are. And we're acknowledging that. That's who we all have been. But God is in the restoration business. Amen? God wants to reorient your soul, but He's the only one who can. Maybe you've been in a situation like this. Have you ever been in a situation where your leg had gone to sleep and you went to get up and it was just dead? Have you felt that? A couple of weeks ago, it happened, something similar happened to me. And I had been working out throughout the day and uh, working on the, the piece of property that we have. had been working and Jennifer was gone. She was at work. And so I came in and I ate something for lunch and I laid down on the couch. And I lifted my leg up to bring it up. And when I did so, my hamstring cramped like I've never had it cramped before. All right? It was unbelievable. How many of you have seen athletes on a field of play and you've thought, those sissies, I mean, come on. How can they not get up? Well, I'm telling you, I could not move because my hamstring, a very large muscle in your body, it had totally cramped up. I finally was able to work myself down to the ground and start to pick myself up. And when I did, I moved my leg again and guess what it did? It cramped up even harder this time. So now I am contemplating, this is the place where I will die. <laughs> I could not reach my cell phone, okay? I think I would have dialed 911, okay? They would have come, what's wrong, sir? I have a cramp, you know? It sounds so ridiculous, but I'm telling you it was true. I finally worked myself up on my left leg, and I was able to stretch it out a little bit, and finally... All of a sudden, it released. And I went, heaven! Okay, this is where I'm at, all right? But listen, for a sheep who's been cast for an hour or six hours or two days, a shepherd cannot immediately upright the sheep. What they must do is straddle them and massage the legs, getting it to a place where the feeling is back in its extremities. And this is why the picture of a shepherd that we so often see is what? A shepherd carrying a lamb on their shoulders. Why would they do that? He was such a sweet little lamb. No. It's because literally that sheep had been cast and could not walk on his own. And we are sheeple. And we've all been cast and we've needed our souls to be restored. And Jesus is in the soul restoration business. What he says is this. First Peter 5 says, 
in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So you, after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. The picture is Jesus restoring, strengthening, encouraging, and placing us on a place of firm foundation where we can begin our journey with him. You see, our souls need to be restored. And we need to understand that there are no other sources that give soul restoration. It is only Christ who can restore us to the place where we need to be. So here's my question. Do you feel cast? Do you feel like you've been at a place where you could not reorient your life? All of us have been there at some point. That's where salvation begins. When we realize we've been cast and only Christ can put us upright. The third thing we see is peace is following in the steps that God has planned for us. You see, peace is getting in the flow of God's activity. As one great friend put it after the first service this morning, he reminded me of four, four to five years ago as he lost his child to death. He said, you know, what you said about being in the flow of God's peace like a river is exactly what I experienced. He said, the grief was so immense, and I prayed that God would just give me his peace. And he said, at the moment when I most needed it, it felt like a river of God's peace flowed around me. That's what God wants for us. And peace is following in these steps that God has planned for us. Psalm 23, verse 3, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. You see, the paths of righteousness, as we are righted up after our soul has been restored, our legs are underneath us are underneath us now. He places us on a firm foundation and that we may begin this journey again. And I love the idea of our Christian lives being a journey. Because some of us are up on the mountaintops, and that's great. But if you're on the mountaintop, guess what's coming? Either a hill or a valley. Is coming in front of you. Some of you are down in the valley right now. And your chaos is abounding in your life. And you're wondering, what do I do? Where's the path of righteousness for me? And Christ gives us that path as we are to follow. And the reason he does so is that he, his namesake might be made known to others. That his worth might be made known. Have you ever seen a parent with a child following them, mimicking every action that they do. I love to watch that. And now I get to watch that in other people's kids because when it's your kids, you're not necessarily seeing the things that they're doing. But I've loved watching Danny and Kyle as Danny has Obadiah and Amos. And I love watching these two boys mimic their father. Okay? And I love seeing them. And when he sings, they sing. When he plays, I see them playing. When he grows a beard, they chirp. No, 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 they don't. 
But I see them doing the things that they see their father doing. And that's what we're called to do and to be is that when we follow in this path of righteousness, it's not our righteousness that we're following in. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You realize you and I don't have any righteousness to follow. We weren't righteous to begin with, so where do we understand this path of righteousness? That's the reason in God's Word we need to be reading the Gospels. Because as we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see the life of Jesus lived out. And we see how Jesus met the needs of the marginalized people. And what we see Jesus doing is what we need to be doing. These are the paths of righteousness that we need to see in our own life. That when Jesus said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was a child in a different country, you sent me the gospel. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was uh, sick, you came to be what I needed. How did Jesus do that? He was operating only in what he saw his father doing. And so we do the same thing. We walk in these paths of righteousness. In what? In what we see Jesus Christ doing. We emulate that. So when he says go to a certain place, we go. When he says stop and don't do that, we stop. When he says speak into this situation in somebody's life, you speak. When he says, remain silent and simply be my presence with somebody, we remain silent and we be his presence. Our lives are literally a path in which Christ follows. I love Psalm 84. So many times I've used Psalm 84 as a passage for someone's funeral because I believe it describes our lives so adequately. Psalms 84 verse 5 in the message says this, and I love this. I love what it says. It says, and how blessed all those in whom you live. It's talking about God living in us. How blessed all those in whom you live whose lives become roads that you travel. Have you ever thought about it this way? Your life is a road in which God travels to others. Some of your highways, you're going 90 miles an hour. Some of your old country roads that literally are meandering around and people are following those. Some of you are old cattle trails that are going through difficult journeyed places that no one else has been before. And your life is a road that God travels to meet needs in other people's lives. You see, when we discovered that a place of peace and rest is a place of purpose that God has in store for us, that our lives literally are roads in which people are traveling. It's not simply a path that we are traveling, taking some good turns and some bad ones, but they're literally the roads that God desires to go on to get to other people's lives. Psalms 1, as well as John 10, are very parallel passages to Psalm 23. Psalm 1 describes a godly person. Listen to what it says, Psalm 1, verse 6. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. 
Proverbs says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. You see, our paths of righteousness don't come from within us. They only come when we understand the road that God has in store for us. When we live out the way that Jesus has lived this out on this earth, we mimic who he is and what he's done that our lives may be places of peace for others. But I want us to bring the focus back to your own life today. What's the chaos that's going on in your life? What's the mountain that's in front of you that you don't think you can go over, around, or through? What are the winds and the waves that are happening in your life right now that you honestly don't know if you can make it another day? In the middle of your chaos, God wants to settle in and give you a place of rest and peace. But remember our definition of peace. Peace is not the absence of activity, but a place of resolute trust as we yield our lives to the flow of God's activity. Would you say that with me so that we just make sure that we get it today, right? Peace is not the absence of activity, but a place of resolute trust as we yield our lives to the flow of God's activity. God wants to give us a place of rest and a place of of peace today. And I want us to experience that. Bart, would you make sure, see if our worship team is out there. I don't know if they've... We're going to experience a, an extended time of worship today. And I want you to think about those things in your own life. The things in your own heart that you've experienced. I want you to think about the place of unrest, the place of chaos that you've come to experience in this life. And I want you to have all those things in focus as we today are going to worship and going to lift things, these things up to the Father. So we want to yield to the flow of God wherever he's at work. Keep in mind that river. If you're that log that's in that river, who are the people on the outside that seem like they are looking in at you and they think that your life is all chaotic? But if we will simply yield to the flow of God's activity today, we will be in the midst of where he wants to act and to operate. Would you just bow your heads right now? And I want you to come to this understanding and keep those things in mind, those places in your heart that are chaotic. Today I'm going to kind of lead you through this time of worship. Some we're going to sing. But for now, I just want you to listen to the words of this song, thinking about all the winds and waves of your life.
Oh, oh, oh. 
yet we need to remember that the words of the hymn from which that chorus comes was not a man who had everything going his way. In 1870, Horatio Spofford was a Christian businessman and lawyer in Chicago. And as he experienced great life for his family, he and his wife Anna had four daughters and a son. In 1871, he lost his son to pneumonia. Later that same year, the Great Fire destroyed most of Chicago, including his business. And he was nearly brought to total destitution as his business was destroyed. Over the next two years, it built back up. In 1873, he had enough for his family to experience a vacation. So they planned to go to Europe. And right before they were getting ready to leave, a business issue came up that he had to deal with. So he sent his wife, Anna, on on the ship and said, I'll join you as soon as I can. And as they were heading to England, ship hit another vessel and the four children gathered with Anna on the deck and they prayed and Anna was the only one who survived as she as the vessel went down as she held on to a board another ship rescued her took her on into England she sent a cable back to her husband is lost only I am saved what should I do Horatio caught the next ship that he could and the ship's captain calmed the ship as they were going over the very waters in which his four daughters lost their life and he pinned song not because he operated out of his own sense of peace of no activity but instead even in his depth of chaos and life he saw his life anchored in Jesus Christ and he wrote this when peace like a Yeah. Mm-hmm.
they take up the offering today just think about that mountain of your life that was cast into the sea as our band begins to play
hope that your life rests on him. I've already had folks come this way. We've talked about the fact that my life's not resting upon Christ. If that's you today, I just want to encourage you. We're here and we're available. As you go into this Thanksgiving week, I want to encourage you to find your rest in Christ. Take His Word. Allow it to be the pastures in which He leads you. Take in His life and allow the deep waters of Christ to well up in you. And go and be a road in whom God travels this week to people who need to see the life and the peace that you exhibit. Would you stand with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for a man and a woman like Horatio and Anna who wrote out of the depths of their grief that you were the sustainer, the restorer of their lives. Lord, as we go, to be the roads in whom you travel this week. May you be glorified in us as we operate from the center and we yield our lives to the flow of your activity that we see this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace.